All right, welcome to another podcast edition of White Collar Crimes. I am your host, Ryan Horn. Glad to have you, as always. A little under the weather, you might tell uh, I'm a little congested. Wife and I both have dealt with some respiratory illnesses of late, but am a little bit better and on the mend and enough, well enough, I can uh, help deliver this uh, podcast episode, although it has slowed me down on one of the audio books I'm currently recording, but I uh, hope to get back in the swing of things with that in the next few days. And speaking of weather, did survive the ice storm that hit my area, <clears throat> did close down my work at the courthouse, but uh, that was alright, got an extra day off I wasn't planning on, and uh, did manage to warm up again in typical southern Illinois fashion. Right now we've got some warm, balmy, soon-to-be kind of rainy weather, and who knows, maybe back to a blizzard or an ice storm next week, because that's just kind of how the weather goes here. But uh, tonight, or today, again, depending on when you hear this, an episode that uh, some of you may be familiar with this, there has been some uh, true crime channels that have carried stories on this show or on this uh, subject that we're covering, but uh, some of you maybe have heard of Craig and Stephanie Rabinowitz, and uh, a popular title, I believe one of the newspapers or something even dubbed this story, The Salesman and the Stripper, and what all was involved in this. It's a white-collar crime that unfortunately ended in the worst possible way that a white-collar crime could, and that's with a murder. And this is a case, the Rabinowitzes were a perceived young couple in uh, Philadelphia. They uh, both came from Jewish backgrounds. They uh, had a young daughter, beautiful home, and just perceived as an overall, just a young and up and coming, uh, you know, rising power couple. Now, Stephanie was a lawyer. Uh, Craig supposedly dropped out of college. I believe it was around his junior year or so. And then, uh, went into business and more on that in just a little bit but and again you know we've talked about that on this podcast before that's not completely out of the ordinary you know for somebody that goes into business to drop out of college you know we've talked about Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, uh, Mark Zuckerberg you know on and on a lot of the uh, successful business people a lot of times you know don't end up finishing college because you know let's face it i mean you know if you've got good business acumen you you know college is not necessarily going to put you over the top and you know and so it's it's not that unusual but he uh, supposedly uh, as we would see in a little bit set up a latex glove business but uh, as we'll all see it was just a front that as i said a little bit ago unfortunately ended in the worst popular possible way with murder and that image did quickly come to a change that everyone had and it was shattered with one nine one one call and that was when police responded to their home to discover craig rabinowitz frantically trying to revive stephanie in the bathtub and uh, trying to revive her with cpr now she would not survive and uh, she was declared dead and originally it was declared you know just an accident and just an accidental drowning so uh you know at the time craig probably thinks he had gotten away with murder now one of the things that uh did arouse the suspicion of the investigators though was uh, when they did look back into her, you know, once her death was over and, you know, just standard procedure to, 
you know, look into things because, you know, let's face it, the husband is always, you know, initially going to at least be a suspect in, in most deaths, like, you know, especially one like this, you know, and then, you know, investigators will work their way out from there usually, but, you know, the closest ones are the ones that are going to be suspected first, and, you know, uh, let's be honest, you know, over 90% of murders are done by acquaintances and loved ones, you know, uh, these random acts of violences that we see in movie and television and things like that, they just, you know, in reality are a microscopically small uh, fraction of murder cases, so it's, you know, again, it's a standard practice for police to initially suspect the, uh, the spouse, but what got their suspicion aroused was the frequent amount of time and money that Craig, they found, was spending at a local strip club slash gentleman's club in the Philadelphia area known, or in Philadelphia if I'm not mistaken, known as Delilah's Den. And it was a, supposedly a more high-end strip club because, you know, uh, just like regular bars and nightclubs, you know, you have some, you know, gentlemen's clubs that are more high-end than others, and supposedly this was a more, you know, expensive and, and high-end one. And they found he was actually spending a lot of afternoons there, you know, four, five, six, you know, days a week or so, and spending up to about $700 a pop at this, uh, you know, establishment. And they learned that he was particularly fond and fascinated with a dancer that went by the name of Summer. Now, again, you know, if any of you have ever spent any time, and I'd say most guys listening to this have at least a time or two uh, frequented a gentleman's club, uh, you know, the dancers, you know, don't use their real names. They go by stage names and, and you know, whatnot. And this particular dancer that he uh, was fascinated with, again, went by the name of Summer. Now, Summer would later deny uh, having any sexual relations ever with, uh, with Mr. Rabinowitz, but she did admit that uh, he did spend a, an extravagant amount of money and, you know, lavished her with gifts, you know, jewelry, furniture, you know, thousands of dollars worth of furniture. It was reported, you know, in the investigation. So, uh, certainly he, uh, you know, spent a lot of money and was probably hoping for a lot more than, you know, just a lap dance from, you know, this relationship because, you know, if a guy's going to spend that kind of money, I'm sure he, you know, he is going to expect, uh, something in return. So, uh, you know, of all the ones that were there, it wasn't reported, you know, that he spent anywhere near this kind of money on any of the others. So he had a particular fascination with, uh, this dancer called Summer. Now, uh, how he lavish, uh, excuse me, how he financed this lavish spending was, uh, what they were really puzzled about. Now, you know, as we said, his wife, Stephanie, you know, before her death, she was an attorney, but what they found out, she actually, you know, after having given birth to her daughter, you know, they had a daughter that was coming up, I believe on about a year old. She was only working part time at a Philadelphia law firm, taking in about 30 grand a year, you know, which uh, I believe this was in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, you know, that was a little bit more at that time than it certainly would stretch now. But even then, especially in a bigger city like Philadelphia, that's probably not going to go very far. And, uh, you know, they discovered about Craig's business that uh, he supposedly uh, had. He again, he claimed to be the sole proprietor of a latex glove business. And, uh, 
Investigators, though, oddly found that uh, he had no real clients or business records of any kind or business transactions. So what was he doing? Craig was running a classic Ponzi scheme, which, you know, you don't want to sound like a broken record on any kind of podcast or show, but, you know, the fact of the matter, as I've said, it's it's probably the most common form of white-collar crimes crime that are committed is a Ponzi scheme. It's just, you know, a classic textbook white-collar crime. And again, if you're a new listener and haven't heard us on there, uh, you know, I'd recommend going back. Uh, you know, it's about probably about a year and a half ago or so, maybe we did an episode on Charles Ponzi, who is credited for, you know, creating the Ponzi scheme. And uh, it basically, you know, is, is very simple in format, really. You know, you uh, you got this new hot thing, you, you try to lure investors in, you promise gigantic returns, pie in the sky, too good to be true. And it works as long as you keep getting new people in. Uh, But when Ponzi schemes collapse, as always, is when investors start demanding their own money and they decide that they want to cash in. And a lot of times, you know, in a Ponzi scheme, they might have enough to pay a few. But if new people stop coming in, excuse me, the Ponzi scheme will collapse. And uh, that is just simply, uh, you know, how it works. And, you know, again, when you have new people coming in, it's uh it's great and you're making that money and you're living high on the hog and again you know the ponzi schemer does not invest this money you know they spend it on themselves and in the end you know uh when they run out of new people's money they don't have anybody to you know money to pay the people who've been there a while and want paid and you know the scheme collapses but uh you know for a long time people get away with a lot of money you know the most famous Ponzi scheme of all time we know with Bernie Madoff you know you're talking 60 65 billion with a B that he got away ripping people off on before his scheme finally collapsed and we've discussed others on this podcast that have you know gotten away with you know millions and millions of dollars none on the level of Madoff I mean his is definitely the most uh you know profitable if you could call it that of any of the Ponzi schemes but we've had others um you know just the one we had last week, you know, was a billion dollar Ponzi scheme. So, I mean, there's, there's people that have made a lot of money in this scam that Charles Ponzi created the system. And, uh, you know, even though it goes back over a hundred years when he supposedly established this, it is living, you know, alive and well in 2023 in white collar crime. So yes, he was running a, you know, classic Ponzi scheme and he got friends and family to quote unquote invest in his business and he supposedly was selling uh, latex gloves to a lot of clients which you know that could be a profitable business you know especially in a bigger city you know where you have maybe a lot of hospitals a lot of medical industry and uh, you know I would think in the COVID era that we live in now with you know people being very conscious of germs and things like that you know uh, I imagine you know latex has probably been a good business to be in but uh, he was not using it for his business in his case you know uh rather than spending it on expensive cars or homes or things like that that uh, the Ponzi schemers often do, Craig Rabinowitz spent his on, uh, you know, a stripper, basically. You know, spe- you know, I mean, he might have spent a little money on other girls at the clubs, but primarily his uh, main focus of attention was on summer, where he was spending all this money. And uh, none of the money ever did go to the latex glove business, and he would occasionally pay back friends and family in small amounts to, you know, kind of keep them off his heels a little bit. But as we always talk about, it always happens with these Ponzi schemes. Eventually, uh, people want their money and, 
you know, they collapsed. Now, unfortunately, how people found out in this case, it took him murdering his wife, you know, for this scheme to be brought out in the open. Uh, you know, and he'd asked friends and family to kind of keep it quiet on the investment because he wanted, quote, the business to succeed and, uh, you know, make his wife proud and all that good stuff. But uh, people... After her death, friends and family, you know, very much said, had Stephanie known the scam that he was running with this latex glove business, even the the stripper stuff aside, but just the fact that he was, you know, taking money from friends and family and not using it to invest in this business as the people were giving him money to do, that she likely would have left him and divorced him, probably taken their daughter uh, with her and, uh, you know, could have caused him a lot of problems and he would have lost you know, any financial support at all, because even as little money as she made working as a part-time attorney, as we know, once this case concluded, she clearly was the breadwinner in this ca- uh, family because, you know, he had no real income. So he needed to uh, score some quick cash because investors did start to ask for some money, and uh, some of the creditors uh, that he owed because they later found out he had an enormous amount of, you know, debts from credit cards and other things to, uh, finance, you know, going to these strip clubs, $700 a day, you know, you go four or five, six days a week, supposedly like he was doing that will pile up in a hurry. You know, you're talking, you know, easily a few thousand dollars a week. And, uh, you know, and that's not including the gifts and furniture that he may have spent on her and the jewelry and all the other things. So, you know, he got into a jam very quickly and uh, needed an out. And uh, with all of his possible financial resources tapped, he turned to the only thing he had left, which is unfortunately a motive for so many murders and, you know, crimes of all kinds, whether it be white-collar crimes, you know, or, you know, just, you know, simple violent crime, uh, life insurance, you know, and, and I'm certainly not speaking out against it, you know, we... You know, wife and I have policies, and I would strongly encourage anybody out there, you know, if you're married or have family or anybody that, uh, you know, is likely going to live after you, you know, it's good to leave them something to take care of, you know, especially if you have kids. So, uh, you know, I highly recommend having some because, uh, you know, it certainly can come in handy should an unexpected death come. And uh, Mr. Rabinowitz, though, did not use it for that regard. What he saw it for was a chance to cash out get out of his debts and troubles, and then, uh, you know, take the lovely Miss uh, Summer along with him. And supposedly the uh, life insurance plan that he planned on cashing in by murdering her was to the tune of about a $1.5 million policy, which that's a pretty nice, hefty, uh, hefty life insurance policy, you know, for any time period, even now, let alone, you know, 20 years ago or roughly when this case happened. So, he got the idea because the couple had experienced some insomnia issues, and they uh, both had been prescribed the medication Ambien, which is a uh, sleep medication, pretty powerful in the way I understand it. And police believed on the night that he killed Stephanie, uh, he and Stephanie had been to dinner with his parents, and he slipped in some in her drink, uh, causing her to go into a deep and powerful sleep. Now, while she was in this heavy sleep, this is at the time he was reported to have strangled her. 
and he placed her in the bathtub trying to make it look as it appeared she drowned in an accident maybe try to make it look like you know if they did the autopsy that maybe they would just see the drugs in her system and you know think that maybe she had just overdosed and you know fallen asleep and drowned uh because what he was banking on was them just taking that her death as an accident at face value and he figured on a few things wrong the investigators later reported one he figured that as a loving husband you know they had this image again as kind of a young power couple you know she's the attorney he's the uh you know you know on the go up and coming businessman and the mover and the shaker which you know actually both you know kind of revealed to not really be the case you know she might have been a good attorney but she was only working part-time at that point you know, and, uh, you know, as we know, Rabinowitz, uh, that was a fake Ponzi scheme business, and he had no actual clients. So, you know, all was not as what it appeared on the surface, but a lot of people believed him to be this loving and supportive husband, and, uh, you know, he believed that nobody would suspect him, even though, like I said, you know, law enforcement generally will almost always, at least initially, look to the spouse first before they eliminate anybody. And he was also uh, hoping and banking on the fact that, uh the uh, coroners or the medical examiners would honor their Jewish beliefs that are generally against autopsies and support a quick burial. So he hoped that they would honor that, not do an autopsy. And uh, he could quickly get her buried, get the $1.5 million, pay off his creditors, and, you know, sweep uh, some of the stripper off her feet and live happily ever after. That was his diabo- uh, excuse me, diabolical plan. But what he didn't count on and what he didn't bank on was a coroner that did autopsies on the deaths of young people regardless of the situation. And Stephanie was, I think, about like 29 around this point, still a very young woman. And uh, that certainly was not normal for, you know, someone like her to just accidentally drown and die in a bathtub. So he didn't take their religious beliefs into account and he conducted an autopsy very quickly revealed that she had been strangled and uh you know the ambient did not play a role in her accidentally drowning otherwise you know it might have doped her up enough to where he could pull off strangling her without much resistance or at least without as much <clears throat> excuse me but uh you know it didn't work and thankfully this savvy medical examiner was able to uh prove this and that quickly led to mr rabinowitz being charged with murder Now, uh, somehow, I don't know if through family and friends that believed him at the time, but he was able to hire a pretty uh, elite defense team from the Philadelphia area. And uh, I think originally thought he would probably fight this out and, you know, fight to clear his name and things like that. But as evidence began to mount and he began to see what was up against him, he would end up pleading guilty. Now, he claimed in court, if I recall correctly, he... uh, claimed in court that the night before he confessed and pled guilty in court that Stephanie visited him in his sleep and told him, you know, you have to do this and blah, blah, blah. And he sobbed and carried on and, you know, carried on a big story, uh, you know, big dramatic presentation and all that. But a lot of people did not buy it and, you know, really found out that he was just a cold, callous killer, you know, somebody that was willing to kill his wife and leave, you know, his infant daughter without a mother you know, just to pay off some debts and, you know, hook up with a a stripper, you know, and uh, that was the kind of person that he was, and uh, the prosecutor, a man by the name of Bruce Castor, said that he felt 
the only reason he did plead guilty was because he knew that, uh, you know, they were going to bring out all these things about his uh, very low character, you know, these things I just pointed out, a guy that, you know, was willing to kill his wife for insurance money and, you know, to pay off debts and, you know, hook up with a stripper and a guy that was scamming and scheming friends and family out of thousands of dollars to support a fake business so he could finance this, you know, lifestyle with the stripper. And uh, all of these things, you know, and his uh, laziness and lack of uh, ambition and all these things, uh, you know, that he had in his character, they were going to be brought out at trial. And, you know, this, especially I'm sure in the Philadelphia area at the time, got a lot of media attention, and he did not want that, as Mr. Castor stated. So he believes that's the real reason why he pled guilty to save a lot of this stuff being brought out, because that is one of the advantages of a guilty plea. A lot of the dirty laundry that would be aired at trial is not. And, uh, you know, in a case like this, when somebody's got a big ego and they want to still somehow salvage what reputation they have left, you know, that's something that they can do because the dirty laundry that would have been aired in this trial did not get aired, you know, to the level that it would have had he decided to go ahead and fight it out and go to trial. Now, plenty came out in the media that was discovered from the investigation and, uh, Nobody really knows what happened the summer after that, uh, the stripper, but, you know, she did again vehemently deny ever having any sexual relations with him, but did admit he uh, was a quite frequent customer of hers at the club and uh, spent an extraordinate amount of money on her, you know, over the time with, you know, gifts and other things. So, uh, you know, all this would have been brought out, but, uh, you know, he avoided that by taking a plea. And the judge did decide to, uh, you know, sentence him to life in prison. And in Pennsylvania, my understanding, a life sentence actually means a life sentence. So he's not going to be paroled or see the light of day, which is good. You know, now, unfortunately, the daughters had to grow up uh, without, you know, without a mother and, of course, a father that's not there, you know, which, you know, in her case, it's probably good she wasn't around him because of the type of person he was. But again, she's had to grow up without a father as well. So, you know, through his actions, he, you know, killed the, you know, girl's uh, family, you know, upbringing for her for the rest of her life. You know, she never got that opportunity because, again, she was less than a year old when this happened. So she never got to grow up with mom and dad around. And, you know, that's pretty sad and unfortunate. But again, greed and lust. All those things that, you know, elements that play big roles in white-collar crimes, uh, you know, they certainly played it in here in this case. And like I said, this is a case that unfortunately, uh, you know, has the, uh, you know, the makings of the worst side of white-collar crime when people are willing to kill for money. Well, I thank you very much for hanging in there with me on this. My voice is, you know, it's not horrible, but it's not 100%, you know, and hopefully can get over that soon. Now, we won't have a podcast next week, so hopefully I can heal up and be as good as new in two weeks, and uh, hopefully I can get back to finishing my audiobook I'm working for for Cherry Hills Publishing because uh, I've lost, uh, you know, close to a week now, probably going on about five days, I've not been able to work on it because of my voice and things like that, but hope to get back on it now. And, uh, you know, so I'll be giving you more updates on that. Uh, As always, you know, support your local pet shelter and adopt your next best friend there. And, uh, you know, look out for scammers, you know, especially keep an eye on your elderly friends and family because they are the ones that are targeted the most. Um, As always, like our Facebook page, uh, you know, give us a five-star rating on Apple, Spotify, wherever you hear this podcast. 
Um, be sure to listen to us each week. We greatly appreciate you. The ratings continue to grow, and I thank each and every one of you for that. And, uh, you know, if you need a voiceover service, as always, check out my website, ryan-horn.com. And you can always email me at ryanhornvt at gmail.com if you have an idea or want to be a guest on this podcast. Again, thanks for tuning in, folks. God bless you all. I will see you here next time. Thank you.